To start things off, I want to tell you what I'm talking about. Today's message for us is, is entitled Mistaken Identity, the Worst and Best Thing Ever. And uh, it's important to, uh, to talk about this because I think there's a great calling on every Christian's life, isn't there? And sometimes we can lose sight of that calling. And uh, I have a question for everyone in the room to get things rolling. And that question is this. Can you remember a time in your life when you were speaking with somebody and then you just got a sense that this person is kind of phony, right? I think we've all run into people like that from time to time. I know how it makes me feel, but I wanted to find out how it made you feel. So I emailed and I texted a bunch of you, and I got some great responses, and I want to read some of them to you, okay? This person said, I feel scammed, I feel devalued, I feel stupid, then I just feel sad and sorry for them. Next person says, I definitely get guarded and skeptical. I am distrustful of them, and then I kind of shut down. Next person said, it makes me feel insulted and disdainful toward them. It's difficult not to view them as small, hollow, petty, and cowardly. Next person said, I feel defeated because I go into conversations ready to engage, and once I sense insincerity, it totally shuts me down. The next person says, I feel insulted that they think I buy into their act. And then that insultiness actually turns to pity. When someone puts on a constant front to let other people think they are something they're not, I feel sorry for them. They are not content with who they are. And the last person said, John, it's the feeling I get when I speak with you. (laughs) Kidding, I made that one up. But there you have it. I know how it makes me feel. Shocker, you guys feel the same way. No one enjoys the company of somebody being phony. But here's a little bit of a twist for us today. What if I told you that you and I are not quite as authentic as we think we are? What if we're the phony ones, guys? It's important that we walk in our true identity, because I think of three things that could happen when we don't do that. Number one, God doesn't get the glory that he deserves out of our lives. Number two, we don't walk in the freedom that was purchased for us, and it was costly for God to give us that freedom. And number three, the world around us suffers from a lesser version of ourselves. So it's my hope today as we get into the scriptures, as we have this dialogue, that we would have some unction, have some energy, have some drive to not waste another moment in a mistaken identity. Okay? That God would get a lot of glory out of our lives. That we would walk in a freedom we didn't know was possible. And that the world would benefit from the best version of ourselves. Are you guys with me? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you for every single person in this room. God, you know us by name. You have called us out of darkness and into light, and you have given us such a great purpose. You love us, you cherish us, and we bow before your greatness today. I pray, Father, that you would speak to everyone, that these words would not be my words. They would be your heart and your words. Would you meet us today? In Jesus' name we all prayed. Amen. Okay, so maybe you're here and you're like, this, this ought to be okay, hearing a message about being phony. But I know phony people, and I am definitely not one of them. Okay? If that's you, I could completely relate, because I kind of feel pretty, pretty okay in my own skin. I never feel like I have to sort of change who I am or like tone it down a little bit. I feel pretty confident. 
But as I was preparing this message, I read something that began to challenge that sort of thinking. And here's what I found out. The Apostle Paul, you know the guy who wrote like half of the New Testament? He's self-described as a person who walks in a mistaken identity. That he's a phony from time to time. And the same thing is true with us. Let's have a look. Romans 7. For we know that the law is spiritual. He's talking about God's code of conduct, his commandments. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. See, in a spiritual sense, every believer in this room is walking a mistaken identity from time to time. It's true. We are doing it. The Apostle Paul himself said he does it. And we do it as well. If you like to take notes, here's the big idea that I have for us today. The sin within us conceals our true identity. And Jesus within us reveals our true identity. Let's listen to how Jesus describes believers, okay? This is his famous Sermon on the Mount. He says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If I'm described as the light of the world, and you are described as the light of the world, there's a question that pops up into my mind. If that's true, then how come I feel like I'm contributing to the darkness sometimes? Take, for instance, when we're driving. You know, somebody does something crazy and cuts you off. I would love to tell you, you know, that I don't get worked up, but I get worked up to a level that is disproportionate to the situation. Totally. And, if, and maybe you're out there and you're like, that does, that's not me. Like, God bless you. Your halo is blinding. I can't stand it. But we all have these little things where we start contributing to the darkness rather than the light. And Jesus calls us the light of the world. We illuminate, we give life, we don't take away. So, why does that happen? If I am the light of the world, as Jesus calls me, why do I feel more like the darkness at times? Essentially, I think it's because of what's known as the world system of values. There is a world system of values that go against what God values, And we are encouraged to be someone we are not every day. We are marketed with these values every day on social media, movies, the celebrity lifestyle, Instagram, all of that. And there's a saying that says, what gets praised gets repeated. And I see a world that praises all kinds of things that go against what God would value. What happens is, if we're not careful, we begin to adopt these world values as our own. Here's what happens. We can begin to think that wealth will bring us significance and increase our worth. We can begin to think that praise of others will validate our existence. 
We can think that only our needs matter and it's okay to get our needs met even at the expense of other people. We can think that our God-given talents are a platform to showcase our pride rather than a platform to serve other people. We can think that admiration by the masses is more important than be accepted by God. We can think that if something feels right, then it must be right. We can begin to think that if no one will find out, then what's the harm? We can begin to think that the good life is a hollow mansion with luxurious amenities instead of a loving village with authentic community. We can think that having 2,000 plus friends on social media means that we're actually known. And we can begin to think that the material world is more important than the spiritual. Just about everywhere we look, these world values, this system, is being pushed upon us. Everywhere. Unless, of course, you're looking at God's word, the Bible. Here's what God has to say. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world. He's not talking about the planet Earth, the mountains and the grass and the sky. He's talking about the world value, the world system. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God will abide forever. Essentially what we're dealing with here is a competition of loves. Are we going to love the Father or are we going to love the world? We have a choice to make. Are we going to be about God's kingdom or the world's kingdom, the eternal or the temporal? And based on our choice, we will either be living in a mistaken identity of darkness or we will be living in the true identity of who we are made in Christ, in the light. It's kind of a, an easy concept to grasp so far, but why do Christians fail to be the light of the world as Jesus describes us? It's almost like we know what we should do, but we don't actually do it all of the time. To give us a better understanding of why this occurs, I'd like to take us back to the very, very beginning. A very good place to start. A couple of you got that. The Garden of Eden. The Genesis, Genesis account talks about the Garden of Eden, a place of perfection with beautiful vegetation and fruit and all things to eat, serenity and just majestic beauty. And not only is the actual environment of the, the garden beautiful, but the actual inward environment of being a human is perfect as well. And then we see that Adam and Eve take of the forbidden fruit and they eat of it. And then everything begins to change. And when they eat of that fruit and they disobey God, sin has entered the world and something new enters the human experience. That something new is called fear. Fear was never there before. And with this new fear comes a whole new subset of questions that enter the mind of Adam and Eve. And guess what? These are the same questions we ask today. Questions like, am I loved? Am I accepted? Am I important? Am I someone who belongs? Am I safe? Am I on purpose? Am I enough? Now the world system is appealing to these questions that are in our hearts. The ripple effect of Eden, having these questions in our hearts, and it's appealing. The problem with the answers that the world gives us is that it's conditional. The answer to, am I loved, accepted, is kind of like, definitely, maybe. 
kind of, if. The, we, our hearts don't want if. Our hearts want surety and certainty. We don't want if. If I'm wealthy, if I'm respected, if I have possessions, if I'm admired, if I answer to no one, if I have the right appearance, if I'm liked, if I fit in. We need certainty. And Adam and Eve were looking for certainty. And when they couldn't find it, they reacted in a way that we do today. The same exact thing. Let's read Genesis together. Genesis 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They covered up and they hid. That's exactly what it means to be phony to cover up, and to hide. People who are being phony, and that includes you and I from time to time, are simply reacting to the ripple effect from the garden. So to cope, we cover up and hide. And every day, and in big and small ways, we are challenged to operate out of a place of uncertainty and insecurity. And the problem is we need to be acquainted with the ways of God, and be sure about who we are in Christ Jesus so that we don't react to things disproportionately. Here's one small example. Uh, it's kind of a big example, actually. So I mentioned that our son was born nine weeks ago. And when my wife and I found out that we were pregnant, she, why do we say we? I, it just happens. When we found out that she was pregnant, I would love to tell you that it was just all the right emotions. But the reality was, this is not something that we had planned for. We felt like we had everything set. Kids are expensive. You start thinking, how is this all going to work? And then this worry creeps in. Am I safe? Am I, you know, is this okay? But you know what happens? There has to come a point in the Christian's life where we put a stake in the ground and we say, am I going to believe what I say I believe? Or am I going to stay in this swirling madness and start responding in a way of fear-based results? You know, just, you have to put a stake in the ground. Do we believe that God is sovereign? That he's the creator of life? We can't create life. He creates life. Do we believe that he has a plan and a purpose for everyone? Has he ever forsaken us? He has always provided for us every single thing. And you know what happened when we put the stake in the ground? As the belly got bigger, the joy got bigger, we got more and more excited. And now, when we hold this child, Tobin, which by the way means God is good, we can't imagine our life without him. We have to think rightly about God if we're going to respond to the things of life appropriately. It brings us to, I think, a greater truth. What I believe in the moment will govern what I perceive in the moment. What I believe in the moment will govern what I perceive in the moment. We have to be thinking rightly about God. Because when we think rightly about God, it's the only way that we can be thinking rightly about who we are in him. 
all of the promises that he has for us. So we have this ripple effect from the garden. And just as the ripple effect all began with one action at a tree in a garden, there's also another ripple effect that happens at another tree. And this ripple effect is greater than that one. The cross of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus hung after being bludgeoned, skin ripped off of his back, nails in his body hanging there, absorbing the full just wrath of God so that you and I could be forgiven and brought back into a relationship with God. The great I am sends a sacrifice on our behalf so that we can answer those questions with certainty, reversing the curse that happened in the first ripple effect so that we can actually say, I am loved. I am accepted. I am important. I am someone who belongs. I am safe. I am on purpose. I am enough. When we ask these questions throughout our day, we should be looking at the cross of Jesus Christ for our answer. Jesus calls us his bride, his beloved. And his willingness to lay down his life for you and for me speaks volumes about his love. Guys, you are loved. You are so loved. I mentioned earlier that my family is now a party of five. And there's something that my wife and I realize, and it's true for everybody else who has ever had kids. We found that there's a direct correlation between the amount of kids that you have and the amount of Pixar films you own and watch. It's just true. You know it's true. And in 2004, The Incredibles came out. And if you've never seen it, it's a, it's a movie about a society in which superheroes actually exist. And they live incognito amongst the rest of us. And just as superheroes are real, so are supervillains. And everyone enjoyed the security that these superheroes provided because just when you needed to be rescued, you would be visited by a real-life superhero like Elastigirl or Frozone or Mr. Incredible. Then everything changed one day when Mr. Incredible saves somebody who doesn't want to be saved. And that person ends up suing the hero uh, department, the government, and subsequently laws are put in place where superheroes can no longer use their powers in any way, shape, or form. They take these ex-heroes, they uproot them, they relocate them, they give them a new job, a new career, a new name, and they tell them to do one thing, just fit in. So we have Mr. Incredible now known as Bob Parr. And you can even see it on his face, hunched over, slowly dying. And he's kind of lost himself in the process. He feels like a, kind of like a zoo animal, caged in, and he's miserable. But in an unexpected plot twist, Bob Parr gets pulled back into the life of being a superhero. And he puts on his old hero uniform, no capes. He starts working out. His life, he starts coming back alive. And even his marriage gets a spark. Yeah, and it's a good thing that he steps back into his identity. Because in the end, he saves his entire city from the villain. There's two types of people in this room this morning. Mr. Incredibles 
and Bob Pars. And sometimes we toggle between the two all throughout the day. I want to speak to the Bob Pars in the room right now. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Sin within us conceals our true identity. Don't let it rob you. God won't get the glory he deserves. You won't be walking in the freedom that you were designed to walk in. And the world will suffer from a lesser version of you. Don't do it. So who is the real authentic you, you might be asking? Who is it? The Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors. We are his bride. It also says that 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You're chosen, royal, you're a holy nation, you're his possession. You are so loved. You have so much purpose. You've been invited to partner with the Lord God Almighty to change human history and influence eternity with your testimony. I want to talk about this idea of being chosen. Now, I, I tell this to my six-year-old, Cannon, because he's the only one old enough to understand. But we'll do our prayers at night, tuck him in, and I'll say to him, Cannon, if you took all the other six-year-old boys in the entire world, and I could only have one, I would always pick you. Now, that's cute right now, but there's definitely an expiration date, right? <laughs> Cannon. If you took all the 20-year-olds in the whole world, like, <laughs> like, it starts to get a little weird. Dad, come on, come on. But, but guys, you are beloved. You are chosen. He loves you. His heart for you is enormous. And it's not just in our minds. He demonstrated that on the cross, didn't he? He demonstrated it on the cross. So how do we stay in step with our true selves. We are called the light, his bride, the beloved, chosen, set apart. We were never meant to fit in. How do we do it? Here's one way I'd like to suggest. We have to renew our minds. We have to feed our minds with God's truth, his promises, his values, his thoughts, not the world's thoughts and values, and then let the transformation take place. Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of the Lord, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Another way to say it is you need to put off your old self and put on Christ. Just as Bob Parr took off the office clothes and put on his superhero uniform, we need to take off the old self, walking in darkness, and put on the light of Christ daily. Colossians 3, 5 through 10 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Every moment is a chance to step into the light of who we are, truly are and declared to be or just contribute 
continue contributing to the darkness. And the people in our lives are the greatest opportunity to do that. You know why? Because people are difficult. We're difficult. We're people. We're difficult to somebody. And if you're anything like me, you want the whole process of being like Christ to be easy. Like, can it just be a software download, like update, like 2.0 right here. Here we go. I'm like Christ now. Right? We want that. But following Christ, it must require something of us. It has to be a little bit costly, doesn't it? Listen to what Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross is a torture device. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, the world system, and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Costly faith is true faith. It just is. It's like saying, I want to be ripped and huge, but I don't want to go to the gym. It doesn't make sense. Take up the cross. Deny yourself. That's why it's so hard. You literally have to put to death the things that you feel like you deserve. Take up your cross and follow him. So another way that we can stay in step with our true selves is to stay connected. And Jesus is talking about this concept. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So what does this whole thing mean about staying connected? For me, I'm aware that there's a dialogue in my head all along, all day long. We're talking to ourselves and you do it too. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. You talk to yourselves. And I think what happens is, as we fill our minds and we get renewed by God, like Romans 12 says, a transformation begins to take place. In our consciousness, we are having a dialogue with the Lord every moment. The scriptures tell us to pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean like sit down and pray all day long, don't go to work. I think it has to do with every moment of the day, you're bringing the Lord into these situations that you're in and you're speaking, you're having a dialogue with him and you know that you're in alignment with him because you've filled yourself with his word so much that you understand what he values and what he doesn't. And you're just having this constant connection, this abiding, and Jesus tells us if you do that, guess what? Your life's going to be fruitful. Fruitful. Who wants a a fruit tree that doesn't have any fruit? A A fruitless Christian life doesn't make sense. It simply doesn't. I love that we can... Bring everything before the Lord and bear it before him. We don't have to hide and cover up anymore with the Lord. He already knows. And part of the dialogue for me is bringing him in on those uncomfortable situations. Lord, I'm unsure about this. What do you think I should do? Like, where should I go? Asking him. That's the, the intimacy that we're allowed to have with Jesus Christ. And that intimacy is what causes us to have fruitful lives. One other way is that our faith needs to be active. When I was the high school pastor here, uh, we were having an adoration night. If you don't know what that is, we were in this room, and it's just an extended time of worship and prayer. And the Holy Spirit was so thick in the room, just kids on the floor, lost in wonder and worship of who God is. And I remember this one student, he came up to me, and to be honest, this was kind of a, he was kind of a wild student, I never knew if he was getting anything 
from anything that we were doing, from anything that I was sharing with them. So you can imagine my shock when they came up to me, when he came up to me and said something so profound, it almost like made me sit down. He came up to me and he said, you know, everyone's talking about letting Jesus in. I think we just need to let him out. I thought that was so profound because I was like, that is what the Christian life is all about. We are literally the hands and the feet of Jesus. Jesus living through us ensures that God gets the most glory out of our lives. Jesus living through us is a life of freedom, a freedom we had no idea we could have. Jesus living through us is a life of fruitfulness that blesses humanity. The following passage sums this up very nicely. It is my favorite passage, probably, in the Bible, if you can even say that. And I think I love it so much because it talks about where we were, then what God did, where we're going, and how that informs right now. Read this with me. It'll be on the screen. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in that. That term workmanship is poema, poema. That's where we get poem. You are God's artistic expression. This is not a scribbling we put on a refrigerator. This is a masterpiece. God artistically expressed something of who he is in you. And you were created for good works. We could never earn the forgiveness that he provided on the cross. Ever, 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 ever earn it. Let's just get that out. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. And when was the last time we all did something crazy, something of a good work, because we felt the Holy Spirit prompting us to do that? Honestly, when was the last time you did that? If you even have an answer in your head, I'm guessing that as you leaned into that and you followed that prompting, you felt more alive than you did in weeks. You know what I'm talking about. Everything starts to tingle. You're like, oh, man, here we go, Lord. Let me just, I'm just going with it. I remember one time, this is small. I pull into my driveway. It's a Sunday afternoon, and the Eagles are playing at four. And there's a guy two doors now named Mike. Barely ever talked to him, Ever. And I'm like, oh, Lord, no, I can't do that. That's just weird. No, I can't. That's, who does that? But I lean into it. Sure enough, I feel awake. And I'm like, hey, Mike. Um, yeah, so Eagles are playing at four. What do you say you come over and we watch the game together? It felt like asking, like, 
someone to the middle school dance. It was so <laughs> awkward. I was like, but this guy, and he was like, yeah, sure, let me, I think I'm busy now, but maybe, turns out we kind of pulled in at the same time a couple days later, and turns out it actually blessed him, and he, he wanted to maybe get together in the future, and I thought to myself, you know, like, that is kind of weird, but being plugged into this church, we are so connected by the fellowship of Jesus Christ that someone asking us to do something may feel somewhat normal, but if I had to remove my life from this environment, someone may not ask me to do anything for weeks, weeks at a time. I remember we had a leak. My wife calls me. I'm driving home. <clears throat> it's rush hour. It's going to be a while till I get home. There's a leak in the garage in the middle of winter. It's like, that sounds great. Before I even know what to do, there were five people I could think of off the top of my head versus going in the phone book and hiring a professional to come fix it for lots of money. There was like five people. That person didn't answer. I called that person. This person, And I realized, would I have that without Jesus in my life? Like, is that a normal thing for people to go, oh, I'm just going to call that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, and they'll tell me what to do? Like, probably not. It's like you're getting on Google. You're like, who could fix a frozen pipe in Downingtown, Pennsylvania? <laughs> like, it's pretty outstanding, you know, that we have that kind of connection. But when was the last time you did a mic thing. When's the, last, when's the next time I'm gonna? Some of us might be sitting here thinking, like, this is cool, I appreciate what you're sharing, but you have no idea the kind of life that I've lived. You don't know what kind of sins I've committed. In fact, I'm pretty sure God would have nothing to do with me. He's moved on. I would say to you, that this is where mistaken identity is actually the best thing in the entire world. There's what's known as the imputed righteousness of Christ. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. Because when a believer bows before Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, it's a two-way transaction. And a lot of us get the first part of the transaction. To impute means to credit towards something. So we impute, this is the part that we get, we impute our sins upon Jesus on the cross, and then God the Father punishes him as if he committed those sins. The part some of us forget, maybe we get it in our minds, but functionally we act as if it's not true. The part that we forget is that Jesus imputes all of his perfect righteousness to our lives, and God the Father rewards us as if we lived the perfect life that he lived. Are you kidding me? Seriously? Guys, that's something to get excited about. Are you kidding me? He gives us his righteousness so that when God the Father looks down, he no longer sees a wicked person, a sinful person. He sees the reflection of Jesus Christ. In God's just court of law, you are declared as blameless and pure and right as Jesus Christ himself. Are you kidding? The that is why mistaken identity can actually be the best thing ever. We have to remember who we are. We are loved. We are accepted. We are important. We are someone who belongs. We are safe in his name. We are on purpose. We are enough. We are more than conquerors. You are the bride of Christ. You are a son and daughter of the most high God. You are a co-heir with Christ. Let's not allow sin to conceal our true identities. Let's allow Jesus to reveal our true identities. Listen, God wants to gift the world with himself, and you are the wrapping paper. 
Let him live through you. I'm going to ask us all to stand, and we are going to pray Ephesians 3 over everyone else in the room. Okay? Let's do this now. Band can come out. For this reason, I bow my knees, come on, all together, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.